This is the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Abraham's Wallet spans the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Welcome back to the Abraham's Wallet podcast. This is Mark, and today we're going to be wrapping up the Build Wealth Like an Ant series. Now, I hope that you guys have been enjoying the summer as much as you can. I hope you have been limiting your intake of news of pretty much all types right now, saying no to fear, and spending good time with your families. Today, we're going to cover the last part of the series that we've been talking about here on the podcast about how to build wealth. And this comes from Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8. Those verses say, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Thus far in this series, we've covered what it means to work while it's summer, but not to give that work an undue place in your heart. We've talked about saving for the future and investing at least a portion of your earnings in long-term assets that will will grow while you continue to gather more resources, i.e. boring stuff like stocks and bonds. Today, we're going to quickly cover a few tips on where to hold the stocks and bonds that are growing for you while you're out earning and working. This will be a little bit more technical instruction on investing, so if you're not that versed and want a primer in this stuff, listen up. If this level of specificity is going to make you swoon, then you might just want to ditch this discussion and go find something else to do right now. All right? So what follows might be the types of things you've heard about in the welcome to our company talk that's given by HR on the first day of a new job. Your eyes were probably rolling back in your head on that day and you thinking, I'll never, ever, ever read the handbook. Or maybe from your grandpa who thought you should have spent your earnings investing in a Roth IRA instead of frittering it away on the new faux masculine truck with the wheels that look riveted on. He was right, by the way. Those early earnings money were like gold and you set it on fire, my friend. That truck could have been $100,000 by now pretty easily. But whether or not the terms that we're going to talk about today are familiar to you, we're going to touch on all the basic vehicles that you can use to start investing for the future. We'll cover some non-exciting but really helpful stuff like, first of all, taxable or tax-deferred investing. You see, the first fork in the road when it comes to choosing where you'll invest in stocks and bonds is deciding whether you're going to use a taxable or a tax-deferred account. That simply means will you pay taxes while the money is in the investment account or will you wait until you pull it out of the investment account to pay taxes? Because my man, you will most certainly pay taxes on it one way or the other. To illustrate what happens to a taxable and a tax deferred pile of money, let's say that you're looking at stock that costs $100 and pays a $2 annual dividend. Did you know that some stocks pay you a little extra just for owning them? That's called a dividend, and it's quite nice. And you can use that dividend to buy more of the investment if you'd like. So let's say, just to recap, $100 
price of the stock, $2 dividend, and it's going to grow by 10% each year. We're doing that just to make the math easy. Now, if you hold that stock in a taxable account for one year, the earnings are going to look like this. $100 initial investment, $2 annual dividend, and a $10 investment growth. It's worth $10 more at the end of the year than it was at the beginning. Now, that $2 dividend, while delightful, will be taxed. You're going to pay Uncle Sam on April 15th on that $2, whether you like it or not. If you sell that stock after a year and buy another one, you're also going to have to pay taxes on the $10 of growth. That growth on an investment that makes money is called capital gains. And the IRS is forever happy for you to make money on your investments because it'll take its cut. Now, if you were to lose money on a stock in this account and sell the stock at a loss, you could actually use that loss to offset gains from other stocks that you sold for a profit. Like, I lost money here, so even though I made money over there, I didn't make that much because look at what I lost over here. And you'll pay less tax for the overall gain, so that's nice. In this taxable account, you won't pay any taxes on capital gains if you don't sell the stock. That's really important. So if that $100 stock is worth $500 after a few years, you still don't owe anything until you sell. If you paid, say, a 20% tax on that dividend at the end of year one, here's your investment. $100 initial investment plus $1.60 dividend left over after taxes plus $10 of growth. So that's $111.60 to go into year two. And that is how a taxable investment account would work. There are great reasons and uses for taxable investment accounts. Such as, taxable accounts are good for money that you might need prior to retirement age. They're also good for assets that produce relatively little annual income, like those dividends, because then you can be strategic about when you'd like to sell off your investments, knowing that you'll be taxed at that time, so you can kind of decide when you want to pay the taxes. These accounts can also be used to great effect for generosity efforts. Hooray for those. And in a future podcast, we're going to cover some tips on how to use money that's grown inside investment accounts. We call those appreciated assets to fund both your giving goals and avoid taxes at the same time. Let's talk about a tax deferred account now. You don't have to worry about paying taxes on gains and losses inside of one of these accounts. You can buy and sell at will and you can receive dividends and none of the money will be taxed so long as it stays inside the account. Sounds like a better deal, huh? But there are limitations on these accounts. First, they will often carry steep penalties if you do take any money out before reaching retirement age. And second, some of them have the added benefit of allowing you to put money in before paying taxes on that money, but they charge you with taxes at the end when you finally pull that money out, and this time it's at your current income tax rate. So this could be better or worse for you depending on what your tax rate is now versus what it'll be when you retire and start using that money. The amount of taxes taken out when you retire might be much higher than if you just paid capital gains taxes in a taxable account. So these are your decisions and this is why professional advice can be valuable in these cases. But let me give you some examples. If you're in a low tax bracket now, but you make a lot of money over your working life and are great at socking it away so that you retire much more wealthy than you were during your working life, you'll be in a higher tax bracket when that money starts coming out of the account. In that case, you'd have been wiser to pay the taxes up front when you were in a lower tax bracket. 
Because if you've waited to pay taxes until you paid that money out and your tax bracket is higher, then, well, the government's going to come knocking for their taxes. So let's go back to our example. The same money in a tax-deferred account would look like this. A $100 initial investment plus a $2 dividend, and you get to keep all of that for now, plus $10 of growth. So you have $112 to go into the year two investment, which will be taxed when it comes out. Now, there's really lots of types of tax-deferred accounts, so let's talk about a few of them. While taxable accounts are rather one-dimensional, there are myriad of varieties of tax-deferred accounts, and they can each have their own rules and uses. So let's look at a few of the most common accounts that you may be able to use in your own wealth-building efforts, shall we? First of all, maybe the most common would be 401k and 403b plans. So you've probably heard of 401k plans, and you may or may not be familiar with their nonprofit cousin, the 403b. These two account types are functionally very similar. Employers sponsor these plans in order to allow employees to save pre-tax money, you see it comes right out of your paycheck before any taxes are paid, into an investment account for retirement. Because the money goes in before being subject to income tax, employees can often save more than they would have been able to save on an after-tax basis. In many cases, employers also match a portion of the employee contributions in these accounts. So if you find yourself in a job where your employer is offering to match contributions, for example, the first 4% of your salary, you should move heaven and earth to make sure that you've elected to defer at least the amount of your salary into the plan that results in your receipt of the full matching amount. I'm going to say that again. If your employer offers to match funds that you send into your 401k, take full advantage of that. Make sure you do it. It's free money. So this is like an immediate 100% return on your investment. But you're already doing this, guys, right? Tell me you're doing this if it's offered to you. If an employer ever says the word matching, you say, yes, please. Now, in a 401k plan, you won't have access to the money you invest until you're at least 59 and a half years old, or at least 55 and no longer working for the employer with whom the plan was created. At that point, you can take out whatever you like, and you'll be taxed on your withdrawals as if they were ordinary income. If you leave the money in until you're 72, the government will actually force you to start taking money out and distributing it to yourself. You see, they want some of the tax dollars that they've let you avoid paying all these years. And if you need access to your money before you hit retirement age, you'll pay taxes on the earnings plus a 10% penalty for not leaving it in there as long as the plan was designed to hold it. Oof, this almost always kills the benefits of tax deferral. So, big headline, don't put money in this type of account if you might need it soon. Said another way, if you have dough in a 401k or a 403b account, just make a vow that you'll never touch it until you're in retirement. Lastly, 401k and most 403b plans allow you to take out loans and pay yourself back with interest. This can be useful as a last resort option if your only other choice is to distribute funds and pay a penalty. Of course, when you take a loan out of a retirement account like this, you remove assets that are growing tax-deferred, and this will often have an outsized negative impact on your account's future value. This is pretty inside baseball stuff right here, but now you know. The other type of tax-deferred account that I want to talk about is an individual retirement account. 
You might have heard of these. They're usually called IRA accounts. These are also tax-deferred accounts that come in two main stripes. A traditional IRA allows you to put money in tax-free and pay taxes when you make withdrawals, just like the 401k I just described. A Roth IRA allows you to put money in that you've already paid taxes on. But once that money comes goes into the account, it can grow tax-free and you owe no taxes when you withdraw the funds. So that's a pretty sweet deal, huh? The general wisdom is to contribute to a traditional IRA if you think your tax rate today is higher than it will be when you're in retirement. So if you earn $350,000 a year, today your 32% tax rate may be far higher than when you're retired and only taking out $100,000 of annual distributions, which would place you down in the 22% tax bracket. Conversely, if you're just starting out and you're in a lower tax bracket, contribute to a Roth now and avoid paying the high tax rates later on when you, being the Abrahamic stud that you're becoming, are stewarding assets and vast wealth later in life. That decision is somewhat enforced by a $193,000 income limit for those who make Roth contributions. So that means you can't contribute to a Roth directly if you make over that amount. Um, Although there's several loopholes that make it possible to contribute to a Roth regardless of your income. So keep that in mind. But the last point I want to make here is some 401k plans also allow you to make a portion of your contributions to the 401k as Roth contributions, meaning that you'll get taxed on your salary deferrals, but withdraw them later on tax-free. Again, I would say it's worth consulting with a professional if you feel like you're getting in over your head on this stuff. Individual retirement accounts have the added benefit of being more flexible when it comes to withdrawals. Did you know that you can use your IRA to fund education goals for yourself or for your children later in life? If you're married, you can also pull out $20,000 for the purchase of your first home without any penalties. And if you're injured in a freak whaling accident, you can use your IRA to pay for harpoon removal surgery so long as you're frankly irresponsible employer doesn't reimburse you for those medical expenses. Yes, for the most part, IRA accounts are similar to 401k accounts, but with a touch more flexibility, which is nice. Now I want to talk about a few other tax-deferred accounts, and we could continue this article nearly forever, which I know would delight you, but for the sake of completeness, I'm just going to make a nod to a few other important types of tax-deferred accounts. The first one is the health savings account. You might be thinking, um, isn't this thing for health expenses? Not so fast. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. The HSA is the only account that I've ever heard of that Uncle Sam will allow you to fund with pre-tax dollars. That's like a traditional IRA. You can put money in that you haven't paid taxes on yet and then allows you to spend from without paying taxes, like a Roth. So it's the only account where you can put money in tax-free and take money out tax-free. If you want to know how to pull that off, even for non-medical expenses, go head over to the blog and read the fantastic article I wrote on HSA hacking. Another account that a lot of people think about with tax deferral is the 529 plan. This is an educational savings program. So if you're hoping that I'll tell you you can also use a 529 plan to fund your retirement, you need to keep hoping. While these suckers can make fantastic multi-generational assets for buying your grandchildren some learning, they are only to be used for tax-deferred savings, 
towards qualified education spending. Another one that you may see here and there is the 457 plan. This is usually called deferred compensation. This one is a bird of a different feather. With a deferred compensation plan, your employer is agreeing to hold off on paying you some of your earnings while they invest it instead of paying it to you. You don't have to pay taxes on the money because you never got the money. The employer also doesn't get to deduct the money like they can deduct their regular payroll. Why is that, you might ask? Because the money is still subject to the creditors of your employer. That means if you have a million bucks of deferred compensation, you're just thinking, oh baby, and then right before you elect to receive that money, your company goes belly up, you, my friend, are out of luck. Your would-be dough will be handed over to the lawyers who will dismantle your erstwhile employers and you'll never see it. With other retirement plans like a 401k or a pension plan, the funds are not subject to the employer's creditors, so you're safe even if they do go busto. Another one is the defined benefit pension plan. So do you know any railroad employees or centenarians? They probably relied on a defined benefit pension plan, which guaranteed a certain amount of income in retirement based usually on years of service with an employer. Because the output and not the input is guaranteed by the employer, it's actually the employer who bears all the risk for this plan. And that is why most defined benefit plans have gone the way of the dodo. They're super rare these days, and if you find one, then that's a, that's a pretty cool benefit. The defined contribution pension plan is another type of pension plan where the employer, instead of guaranteeing you income in retirement, just contributes a set amount of money based on your age or how many years of service you've given to the company. That money is then invested and produces a benefit at retirement for employees. Because the input is the thing that's guaranteed, the employer is not bearing the risk if their investments underperform expectations. That unfortunate outcome would just mean that the employee gets less money in retirement. Another one I'm going to mention is permanent life insurance. Now, if you guys have listened to the podcast long, you know my thoughts on permanent life insurance, and they are uh, aggressive. But it's true. You can actually use this vehicle to grow money on a tax-deferred basis. For most of you, I will reiterate my opinions that it's a very inefficient way to achieve your goals, but I've already told you that when we covered permanent insurance, at length. Some would say ad nauseum, and if that's you, I would use one of my mother's famous car-driving tell-offs when someone blows their horn at her. Ah, blow your nose. You'll get more out of it. Qualified annuities. So an annuity is something that allows you to pay a sum of money, either in one lump or over time, into a vehicle where it can grow. In this case, tax deferred, until you annuitize the fund. And then at that magic moment, you'll be promised a fixed amount of income for life or for some set period of time. There's all sorts of annuities. In general, I feel similarly about annuities and permanent insurance. You can usually achieve the same investing outcome by investing directly in the securities that underlie these vehicles without all the added costs. Having said that, there is a time and a place for almost everything, including annuities. So again, go consult a professional. Picking through the details and rules of each of the above investment vehicles might seem less fun to you than certain semi-annual medical evaluations that require you to turn your head and cough. Thankfully, 
Your boys downstairs don't need to be worried about being roughly handled with latex-gloved hands, because your friends here at The Wallet live for such minutiae. We could write a whole article on each of the above topics, but if we did, you'd probably leave us for some shiny-headed guy who might tell you that God's plan for your family's wealth is all about having a nice boat. Yuck. I mean, boats can be fantastic, but you can do so much better when it comes to the reason for wealth and what to do with it. That's why we're here, guys. So instead of that dreary outcome, let's turn to something way happier, and that would be wrapping up this whole series on building wealth like an ant. I mean, it's been a real dandy, but sometimes my digital ink well runs dry. So let's sum it up, and I want to give you some thoughts to just close out everything we've said in this series. First, we talked about working while it's summer. Jobs are a great way to produce resources, whether you need to earn a salary for 40 years to provide for your family, or a much shorter time to fund your next productive venture. Work has a whole bunch of other God-honoring, redemptive qualities too, but that's another podcast. So stay on your guard against the dangers of jobs that want your worship, but don't fear a job. They are good. Number two, store up resources. We talked about this before. Time is the number one most important variable when it comes to the accumulation of wealth. You can get most of the principles of investing wrong, but if you start early enough, you'll probably do well. This is just as true of family business building as it is of investing in stocks. So don't go for the quick win or instant success. And on that note, we want you to invest your resources for the long haul. So don't shy away from investment vehicles that can grow your wealth while you're doing other things. Seek them out. While we love entrepreneurship and real estate plays, we think good old stocks and bonds still have an important place in almost every family's financial picture. And lastly, hold those investments in the right place. That's what we talked about today. We wrapped up and said that you may have lots of options for holding your investments in places where the tax man won't give them a haircut each year, and you should take advantage of each of those options. So to close out the series, I just want to bless you as you build your outposts for long-term stability and influence. And I pray that the tips that we've given you in this series would put you in a place to continue that lifelong construction project. And if you ever need some specific help in putting some of these strategies in play, I'll say it one last time. I think it's worth finding a professional who can give you some advice on that process. With that, thank you guys for for sticking with us through this Build Wealth Like an Ant series. I am Mark Parrott, and this is the Abraham's Wallet Podcast. We will catch you next week.